Hey, everybody. Thank you again. I want to take a quick moment to say that. And also, if you enjoy what I'm doing here, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy the guests that I'm having on, if you enjoy the subject matter, please go to wherever you download your podcasts from and subscribe to it. That helps me out. Also, if you write a review or or at least rate it, that also helps me out with these platforms, algorithms and such. Helps me get seen a little bit by people who haven't seen this or heard this yet. Also, if you go to www.theartoffitnesspodcast.com, I have an Amazon portal link. And if you go through Amazon, whenever you're doing Amazon shopping, if you go to Amazon through my website, a percentage of whatever you purchase helps support this podcast. So please do that. I'm Steve Serbis, and this is The Art of Fitness. Hey everybody, welcome to The Art of Fitness. I'm Steve Serbis, and today I'll be talking to Tony Blauer. Tony is a legend in the world of combatives. One of a very small group of experts on the subject who has successfully disseminated his work across all combat communities, including self-defense, combat sport, and military and law enforcement. Tony's research into the psychology and physiology of fear mitigation and confrontation management has influenced many. Tony has been teaching personal self-defense to individuals, military, and law enforcement for over 35 years. Early in his career, early in his teaching career, he had a student that got messed up pretty bad in a street fight, and that incident made Tony reflect real hard on what it was he was doing and what it was he was teaching, which ultimately gave way to the spear system. What is spear? Based on an 80,000-year-old DNA, spear teaches one to tap into the amygdala's natural fight-or-flight response in order to utilize the human instinct to flinch. Now, this gross motor natural phenomenon wired deep inside of all of us is what Tony feels is the very thing that can be used as a weapon for self-preservation when forced into a violent situation. It was a real honor and a pleasure talking with Tony, and our conversation just seems to fly by for me. In fact, the usual format of this show is to put my guests through the questionnaire I developed to help you guys reverse engineer these individuals for your own personal growth in whatever endeavor you're, you're doing. Um, well, we didn't even get to the questionnaire on this episode <laughs> because our conversation went pretty deep on several levels. But, um, but I'm in contact with Tony, and we're going to have him back on, and we're going to put him through that questionnaire. But, uh, but this, this conversation is, uh, is, is really fun for me. We kind of geeked out together on, on a couple of things, and, um, and Tony's a good dude, and this episode is packed with real-world information that, um, that you could utilize to help stay live in fact, I suggest that you go to Tony's website, which is blauerspear.com. That's B-L-A-U-E-R-S-P-E-A-R.com. And check out the courses that he offers. He has several, but um, I highly recommend that you go and do this, even for just a rite of passage purpose for yourself, even if you never, ever, ever use the information or the skills that you'll learn in the course be pretty cool. And all right, let's go and listen to my conversation with Tony Blauer. Tony, you there? Yes, sir. Now I'm excited to do this, man. So listen, you are my my very first um, icon uh, coach uh, on the art of fitness that um, that hasn't really been a competitor so far so thanks a lot man I, I i really appreciate you coming on and i know you're traveling and i know you're in a hotel and uh i want to jump right in with spear tell me about spear what is the spear system in a nutshell so uh i've been involved in martial arts and self-defense for almost 
almost 50 years. Uh, and uh, some people, I say that, and my brain goes, did you do that math right? But I started grappling when I was seven uh -huh. uh, and then did Taekwondo and boxing and all different martial arts, and I'm 57 years old right now. So 50 years I've been involved in stuff. And I started teaching uh, in like 1979. And at that point, I had this big awakening with a student of mine who got into a self-defense situation and lost his confrontation. And uh, I realized that martial arts and self-defense were completely different. Mm -hmm. And I took that personally, uh, not in a sulking way, but in a kind of a exploratory, like inspired way. I was like, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. We teach stuff, you know, in a very set mechanical choreographed way. And then the bad guy really controls what happens and during real violence. You've got to figure out how to solve the problem. And I embarked on this journey that took me probably from that time uh, almost 10 years to develop a system based on how humans actually move instead of how martial artists actually move. Uh, and and uh, a lot of people find that insulting. I don't mean it to be. It's just that there is a there is a way that predators attack and then there's something that happens at a physiological, physical level. And so that actually gave birth to SPEAR, which is an acronym for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. So again, Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. And what that what I did in part of my research, uh, I realized doing some drills that got extremely violent at extreme close quarters that when your body and your mind are surprised by something, there's a start of flinch response. And this is like a DNA level, like limbic system, reptilian brain response. It bypasses all cognition. So you could be the most trained person in the world and you know, you're hanging out there and all of a sudden you look down and there's a spider on you and you kind of freak, right? You know, you do that the whole start of it, get this off me. And you, like, you could be, you know, some super cool athlete or some, you know, elite martial artist, and you're still flinching, uh, you know, like how your sister or mother would scream if they saw a, a, a snake or a mouse in the house. And and I make a joke about this. There's a video that we found from, it's got to be, it's decades old, but it's Muhammad Ali, and arguably the, one of the greatest boxers of of all time. He's on a talk show, and there's this uh, comedian who's, I mean, I'll, I'll send you the clip if you want to link it because it's such a great concept. Yeah. Here's Muhammad Ali, who's you know world champion. He's fought the most dangerous heavyweights in the world. And this comedian sets him up with a story. And in the middle of the story, he lowers his voice. And he says, Muhammad, at this point, and Muhammad leans forward and he throws a punch at Ali on stage, unrehearsed. I mean, like you talk about balls, right? Yeah. He fires a shot. Ali... You see him yell, recoil, flinch, fingers splayed, outside 90, just like the physiology and the kinetic chain that we talk about in Spear. But and so we have a snapshot of this and a video of it. And we use it in our beer and bodyguard uh, courses and our and our other self-defense seminars to show people, hey, the startle flinch is like an organic airbag in a modern car. It's 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 when when you're suddenly hit by something. Yeah. That could be dangerous. And, and so that's really what SPEAR is. It's the study of physiology. It's the study of human movement as it relates to violence, fear, and aggression. It's not a martial art. It's really about making good humans safer. Mm -hmm. And when you say outside 90, you saw him go outside 90, are you talking about the angle of his elbow? Uh, the, the angle of the forearm in relationship to the, the, to the bicep. So, you know, we've got, and again, we could, you know, uh, you know, add some links to our finger splayed outside 90 drill, totally. but it's, it's kind of this cross extensor, uh, movement of pushing away danger. So, uh, you know, if you, let's say you were holding up like a, like a plank, yep. you're at 90 degrees, right? right. Your, your, your forearms on the ground, uh, and, and your elbows, so you're just like sitting on your elbow and your forearm. If you go outside 90 then your elbow would raise slightly. I guess applied that pressure. In fact, we do for you know quarter extremity uh, um, development for the spear. We do spear push-ups, and they start from that plank position, and then you slowly scale to engage in the position. Gotcha. That's uh, that's interesting. That's that's similar to how uh, one would set up for Wing Chun 
trapping as well is remaining outside 90. Was that an influence or um, would Wing Chun be something that uh, perhaps they stumbled across that same idea that if, if you bring it to 90 or acute of 90, right, that right. That, that weakens the, uh, the, the guard? Correct. Right, and, and I'm going to guess that that you've studied some Wing Chun. I, well, I'm, I'm not a Wing Chun practitioner. That, no, I've studied a little Jeet Kune Do more than anything. But right. um, and that's cool. So I, you know, had an interesting uh, talk yesterday. Did a big Facebook Live with uh, Funker Tactical yesterday, and uh, and it was one of the things where you know it comes up where in Aikido, in Wing Chun, in Penjak Salat, and a bunch of martial arts, people have figured out even just like a rising block your arm is outside 90 and you know, mm -hmm. just as it, as it comes up uh and you like you, you know wrestling a forearm shiver people have figured out intuitively um that that's a stronger frame mm -hmm. the problem if there's a problem and i should probably try to as i get older uh which is approaching rapidly uh <laughs> wean the word problem out just because it just it just has a negative connotation the distinction is we're building the outside 90 out of a behavioral model mm -hmm. that has origins in understanding physiology. And when you look at it like that, the learning curve and the, the uh, self-confidence you have in the concept changes. And what I mean by that is if I say to you, Hey, remember this position, look here, and I show you the unbendable arm from Aikido, and then I you'll you and I go, hey, this is your chi and this is your energy flow. I'm mystifying it. Right. Right? Which doesn't help anybody in a real violent situation. Yes. Um, or I'm assigning it a complex motor skill position. So if I tell you, uh, hey, I need your knees to track your toes here a little bit, your stance a little too wide. I bring so when I'm coaching coaches. I tell most of them, I say, I'm going to be provocative here to irritate you, to think about something deeply, but most of you aren't coaches, you're trainers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no one likes to hear that. Right. And what I'm telling them, <coughs> excuse me, voices raw from seminars. That's all right. The, what I'm telling them is that, and I, I created these three tiers, and I had a great talk about this with Ben Bergeron a while ago and some other, you know, high-level coaches. I said, hey, listen. There's technicians, there's trainers, and there's coaches. Technicians are people that look at the biomechanics, and that's really what they see. That's how they they chart or or measure PR or progress. Like, oh, look at you're deeper in your squat, or right. oh, you're punching harder. Um, the technician is about the biomechanics. The trainer understands the programming, how to create that adaptation, energy systems, rep schemes, the you know building stamina, endurance, speed, strength. The coach is only about performance. And, and that's why I say most people who call themselves coaches are trainers because they're, they, they, and I, they're, and I, they're stuck in the physical. They're stuck in the physical. They're, oh, you're not working out hard enough. Oh, you're working too hard. You're burnt out. You right. know? And I, you know, one day I've got this, this mystical article that I haven't written yet, but I've been joking about it for years. The title's... Uh, the, uh, the coach, uh, what's the title? Hold on a second, I just lost my, lost my train of thought on it. It's, yeah, it's um, uh, cheerleading isn't coaching. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by, like, if you're yelling at somebody, go, come on, you can do it, you can do it. If the reason they're not pulling the weight or they're not charging the, the, you know, the opponent and, and engaging has to do with fear versus stamina, endurance, you know, or, or, or technique, and most of the time, it's always fear. And that's yeah. our big thing. It's always fear. You know before, you know, when you grab a weight and that little voice in your head says, man, this feels heavy today. I probably should have warmed up a bit more. Yeah. Like that's your intuition saying step away from the weight. But most people don't. And then they fail the lift. And when I talk to people and I go, you, if you peel that onion and you kind of go back in time, you know when you were going to fail a lift. You knew... Yeah when you stepped in the ring with that guy that right. that your head wasn't straight and that's the biggest thing that we that we do when we're working with people yeah and then the coach when you say it's all about performance um looks beyond that there's something underneath and it could be maybe not talking about their lift at all it could be maybe Correct. understanding that 
those three steps that they're taking to that bar or to the ring that you're seeing before they even get there, he's going to miss this lift or he's not ready for this fight. That something underneath the physical is happening that um, the coach is aware of and the coach needs to build. Right. And, and we don't, we're not giving trainers who want to be coaches tools to like very often after something let's say doesn't work out the way we wanted we go man i knew that was like you you like you get that exclamation i just knew that or whatever yeah <clears throat> and i go well if you knew it and here's an interesting thing you know so the question obviously if you knew it then why do you still do that like why didn't you change right. what you're doing whether it was Always. your 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 setup ritual or you know like you talk to like people who get let's say screwed in business i knew that guy was going to screw me really well how dumb are you <laughs> like, yeah. like, like why'd you do it so we don't and it's so funny because you know i've i've had uh, a, a few incidents where where and i think everybody does but after you know 30 years in business i've had a couple people screw me and my wife always says to me i knew that guy was like no good when we hired him or whatever and i'm going well please do me a favor tell me before <laughs> tell me after. next I'll, you know you're batting 100 now so i will trust you the next <laughs> yeah. time you say i don't like that person yeah. um it's amazing and listen, there's no downside. You know, in our self-defense seminars, we talk about choosing safety. We yeah. Joke. Hashtag choose safety. There's no downside to choosing safety. So, so if if I think you're, let's say we're in business together, and I and I think you're stealing from me, but I my cognitive dissonance says I'm not even going to address it. I don't want to have confrontation, and he wouldn't do that. And then one day you leave, and I find out that you know you left with all my clients, and you you were telling these stories and all that. I go, man, I should have, you know, six months ago when I had that bad feeling. Well, if if you are completely, like, innocent and I'm misreading something because there's a, you know, false positive or I'm paranoid about something, and I go, I go hey, bro, i got to talk to you. This is a little awkward, but, you know, uh, there's, like, a dollar missing from the cash register. If you didn't steal it, there's nothing, nothing wrong is going to happen. We're going to have a little argument and then we're going to make up, right? How dare you? I can't believe I'm your buddy. I'm your partner. And we have this awkward conversation and then we figure out, you know, something was wrong. But if you were stealing or had the intention of it, that'll also come out of that conversation. And so I tell people, this might be like, seem like a stupid example to people, but in, you know, fear throttles everything we do in our life, who we talk to, therefore who we matter, uh, who we marry. Um, uh, where we live, how much weight we lift, and whether or not we defend ourselves. So I tell people, like, you know, very often in relationships, we go, I like, I want to say this to this person or ask this person this, where, uh, whatever it is, and it's fear that throttles that. And then we live with the what I call like the weight of fear. And think about a time, like, sometime where you found out good news, a, a, a medical test. Uh, waiting to find out if you passed an exam, waiting to figure out if you got into school, if you if you if you uh, if you made it through uh, the open to the regionals, like what? And you're waiting. The weight of fear is massive. And then when you find out it's okay, you're like, oh my god! And you're jumping around and dancing. And it's a wonderful metaphor we use in in the seminars that that it can change. Uh, uh, you know who Kevin Ogar is, of course. Yeah, yeah, I did an interview with Kevin, yeah. Okay, so Kevin is a buddy. Kevin, um, and I bumped into him years ago at the games, and he goes, hey, I want to bring you out to Colorado and, and do a seminar, and, you know, and I went, oh, cool, I'd love to, you know, and we got to talking, and I couldn't believe how much abuse he's experienced being in a wheelchair. Yeah, man. And I was, like, blown away by that. And um, so he does a seminar, and we do a whole block on fear management and uh the next day after the seminar he prs his bench press by 20 pounds yeah now kevin is like one of the most mentally tough humans i know mm -hmm. um but because of you know the fact uh, of the accident and his condition his best movement is going to be bench press right right and when you get to that level where you're that mentally tough and you got that upper body strength like prs are fractional right 20 pounds is gin ginormous. And he posted about it, exactly. He posted about it on Instagram. He called me up because one of one of the phases and the way we do fear management is different than any other 
psychology book or, or, or coach that I've seen because we're actually giving you legitimate tools to think about and work with so that you become your coach because only you, you know, we talk about uh, um, self-awareness. If I say before the competition, how do you feel? And you look at me and you go, I, I feel great. I'm going to kill this. And I believe you. I don't say anything else. Right. But if you say, I'm good, but I'm a little bit worried about this movement or, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't run as much as I should coach. And like I've had guys that lie to me about their road work back when I was training fighters, you know, and I find out in round two right, when the guy's gassed. Yeah. He was full know? of shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so one of the, one of the phases in this, in this, uh, uh, 90 minute fear management block, we talk about the psychology of intimidation and everybody of course experiences intimidation at some point, anything outside your comfort zone can for a nano moment intimidate you. If I say like, like you're probably cool with this, but the number one fear in the world is public speaking. Right. And but doing these podcasts and interviews, but that would be different if you've never stood up on a stage with a mic. As you got up there, you're all excited. And as you get up there, you're like, holy shit, there's like 100 people up there. What if I forget my shit? The whole fear loop and the fear spiral starts to happen. And when that happens to an athlete, that's the way to fear. And so we say, how much does fear weigh? For Kevin Ogar, fear weighed 20 pounds on his bench press because our our principle, when we look at intimidation for self-defense, the statement is this, it is when you are visualizing what your opponent can do to you instead of what you must do to your opponent. Right. In a choiceless choice where the, you can't do anything, you can't avoid the confrontation. Now you're thinking about what's going to happen to you. And that's the way to fear. It creates emotional inertia, a body's inability to move. And you've got this wicked fear and you're like, you're now you're lifting or running or fighting or speaking through a duress path. And it's nowhere, there's no way that you can perform optimally yeah you know th this brings up an interesting point and I, let me ask you this because exactly what you said with public speaking you know i'm i'm a i'm a classically trained actor i've I, I like to experience stuff man and i like to learn stuff my entire life and i've always enjoyed putting myself in situations that um a lot of people wouldn't put themselves in, you know, it, it, it always made me feel good. And there was also always a coming, um, out of the other side, uh, feeling different, feeling a little evolved. Um, right. now, but in, in my acting training, a great deal of emphasis is put on repetition rehearsal for this very reason, right? So you're not thinking about all of the 100 million possibilities and scenarios that can go wrong you're thinking about the task at hand which you know could be playing Shakespeare could be throating this motherfucker in front of you who's trying to take your stuff um, you know there's a variety of situations that that kind of mindset can apply to but do you find that by taking 90 minutes and talking about fear and giving voice to this and giving words to this, do you find that, that have you ever thought about that maybe that's instilling this, this second self-talk um, as opposed to only focusing on doing? I don't know. It's just the thought that I had just now. Right. And are you, are you saying that that second self um, could lead, thought? Could lead to fear. Could, could start to, you to think about self-preservation. Could freeze you up in that moment um, when you just it, need to spear them. Right? It's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I've I've never been asked that, and I've never thought about it. Am I, you know, so I don't want to like like you know, no, of course not. You no, know, no, no, our, course, yeah, our system's man, perfect. You know, how dare you? <laughs> um, it's listen. Here's the thing: is I don't believe for a moment. You know, Lawrence Olivier used to throw up before he'd go on stage, right? Yeah, people, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, Mike Tyson used to throw up before he'd go fight. Yeah, it's the anticipation. Right, and so, but that was the physiological response to their fear. It was, it was their way to deal with the anxiety of, I've got to do this, and I want to be great, and I want to do my best, and, 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 you know, if you peel that onion, it's like, like, why do you, why do you feel that way? The, the... Listen, when you don't feel fear, you just move. Yeah. What we're doing is offering a potent remedy that can be uh, self-administered 
So you're patient and doctor at the same time. Yeah. Right. And it's so it's not like, hey, guys, let me talk about fear management. Uh, and it's interesting because when I work with like like SWAT teams and cops, and then my main business is training military and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't use the word fear in the same way. I know after after decades of working with them that the word fear doesn't resonate with guys who jump out of airplanes at 20,000 feet with guns. Right. right? Um, and so I just did uh, a, a little, I came on as a guest on this past season's Ultimate Fighter. And, um, and I was going to talk, I was asked to talk about fear and fear management. And I asked, I think it was like 12 guys. These were like, this past season, it was like all like champions from different uh, uh, countries fighting. So they weren't like new guys. Like they were guys like everyone had cauliflower ears and scars. Right. They've been there. And I said, how many of you feel fear before you fight? And only three guys put their hands up. Hmm. And I said, I said, the rest of you know, and, and no. And they were like, no, like, like they didn't, fear doesn't resonate. And I said, are you worried about your, like a W or an L, a win or a loss? Does that affect your ability to feed your family? Do you think about if I don't lose, if I lose this fight, I could lose my sponsors because I was, I'm now on my second loss in the UFC. And I know they cut people if they don't perform. And you see like people's like eyes light up. I go, dude, that's fear, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's as you stress inoculate, right? So as you stress inoculate, you your your shift you're shifting from fear to um, apprehension to concern to okay, what's my contingency, right? You like you know so uh, you know you like you know someone taught you if you if you misalign do this or do this, mm-hmm. right? And, and then if you're working with like a team, they can, they can cover for you. I know that like when I'm training a group and I've got a co-instructor there, when I feel like, like I've told them like backstage, I say like, I'm going to forget some shit. And so you need to remember what I'm going to forget. So what I'm going to do when I think I forgot something is I'm going to turn to you and say, is there anything you want to add? And that's me professionally saying, I think I forgot something. Right. Um, and we just hold it together. But, you know, in, in those cases, what we're doing is what we're preempting is this vicious spiral into metaphorically fetal fear, where all I want to do is hide under a desk. Hmm. You know, it was interesting um, having lunch with, uh, with Greg Glassman, who's, a, who's a, both a mentor and one of my closest friends. Uh, and he says to me, he, he calls me T, which is like so cute, right? Hmm. He goes, T... Um, why do you think some, just out of the blue, like we're just talking about the kids and whatever, and he goes, hey, T, why do you think some people won't fight? And I'm like, holy shit. That's an interesting question. And I start to, like, go off on this tangent of, you know, well, you know, the uh, limbic system's connected to the amygdala and the, right. you know, the fear, <laughs> and, and he interrupts me, as only Greg can do, with the most elegant, succinct expression, right? Constantly very functional movement forward and intensity. He goes, isn't it just because they're afraid to lose? And I looked at him and I was like, holy shit, did you just do it again? And he smiles. I go, I was like gonna take something that was like eight paragraphs long and you summed it up in one sentence. We're afraid to lose. And, and uh, he looks at me and he goes, if the fight's gonna happen, meaning there's no way you can change it, there's nothing you can do. This is the wad. This is the fight. This is the lift. This is the, this is the challenge. Now's the moment. Yeah. If you can't change that, he said, if the fight's going to happen and you agree to fight and you go all in, all you risk losing is the fight because you were in it. That's great, man. Right? That, that, no, yeah, but that's, there was a part two, which is even heavier. Yeah. He goes, if the fight's going to happen and there's no way to change it, and you don't fight, what you risk losing is everything. And he's not talking about, and I'm not talking about life or death. I'm talking about self-esteem, mm-hmm. your, who you are as a person, yeah. you know, self-actualization, right? And so uh, this speaks, it ties back to and speaks to you saying, hey, as a, as a trained actor, what you learned was to like go outside your comfort zone, explore some stuff. And you found that, yeah, while that was scary, you began to, my words, not yours, feed off that adrenaline and the fear, but you would use that as a fuel. And that's what we tell people, fuel can throttle you, or it can be used as a fuel, as a catalyst to a, a, a deeper understanding 
of life and what you just accomplished. And what that does is that expands who you are as a human. Totally, man. And, um, you know, it's interesting because anytime I work with an athlete, the first thing that I do is I hand them a copy of the Hagakuri. Have you ever read it? I don't think so. Okay, it's by Yamamoto Sunitomo, and it translates um, Hidden Under the Leaves, and this is kind of like the book of the samurai, right? Yeah. But it was written at a time when feudalism um, was at its end, right? So you had all of these trained warriors um, that were basically turning into uh, messengers, and, you know, they were writing calligraphy. And in this book, this young samurai who never had seen battle, who um, never will, was visiting an old samurai who lived in the old times, right? Where um, they were hired protectors for, the, for their retainer. And, uh, and it's just a series of short stories and recollections. But one of the... The major takeaways from this book is that if if you're born into that samurai culture and you're being raised to be a samurai, that your focus every day, every day, should just be on death. And you should meditate every day on how wonderful you can die for your master. And you should go as far as to meditate on the the different ways and the feelings of how it would feel to be torn apart by you know a thousand spears or and just constantly fixate on death for this very reason because if you're thinking about self-preservation and fear of losing you'll be useless as a warrior society right you have right. to accept and take honor in the fact that you're going to die today. And I always hand that to my athletes because there's a great deal of transferability when it comes to, um, you know, dying for your master. And if you don't, committing seppuku. And listen, I have to do this event and give my very best in this next 40 seconds. And if you're afraid of losing, you're going to lose. I dig that man, deep, heavy. Um, and, uh, I, for many years in our lectures and talks, I would reference, and obviously I've, I've you know, studied in, you know, 50 years doing stuff, uh, samurai and other stuff like that. I've got to look up that, that, that book. And I'll I'm send sure you, I'll I'm send sure. you a copy, man. Thank I'll, you. Yeah. Um, but I would tell people, in studying the samurai because i i know that mindset that hey he's going to try and kill you in battle but he's not afraid to die because he knows he's going to be honored if he dies mm -hmm. he's going to be thanked if he wins and he's going to be honored if he dies and how do you how do you fight somebody how do you prepare to fight somebody who's not afraid of death mm -hmm. and um and and it's so it you know it's so true and that's what you've got to you know uh, uh in everything you've got to, and the metaphor there is, is understanding, you know, fear as pressure versus fear as fuel, mm -hmm. uh, and, and reframing that. But you, you also need to have, have tools. Listen, we live in a pussified society where cognitive dissonance and entitlement and influences through osmosis, so many things that we do where, you know, even like I'll sit here and like, I've got this this really cool email app that I really enjoy and it's gotten a little bit slower lately. So now here I am like going, Oh, come on, man. And I'm like, 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 you know, getting angry that this has now consumed four extra seconds of my life. I've stopped being amazed by the fact that, that you can send me an email from the other side of the world and it goes up into the air and magically appears on a device that I'm holding in my hand, it could be a video for my kids or yeah. whatever. And I'm going, the internet's slow. <laughs> like it's, I know, right? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's amazing to you know we just so like that type of thing. I feel like we need to find ways to kind of 
uh, uh, spiritually step back and have like mental tools just to take that breath and just appreciate, you know, where things are at and what we're doing, keep things in context. Well, I think like things that what you're doing, your seminars and, and what you're doing with people, I always say that I think that where we're suffering as as a society in time is is rite of passage, you know, and I've said it before and people are probably rolling their eyes, but, you know, I have an eight-year-old son, I have a three-year-old daughter, and, you know, these are things that we're very, very aware of as building rite of passage into their lives. And I think that what you're doing with your seminars, you know, that just signing your name on, on the line and showing up to a seminar where you're going to be dealing with physical violence and self-preservation and learning these tools, there's something to be said for people who actually pull the trigger and do that. I mean, that is a rite of passage in itself. I think that what you're doing is kind of uh, scrubbing away some of the the pussification of our society. Um, and I think we need more of it, actually, from, from different walks of life, uh, especially nature, you know, and survival. And, um, you know, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, 100%. I'll tell you this, like, you know, I say I, I have a provocative statement that I, that I lead a lot of talks with just to kind of gauge body language in the group. And I'll say something like, not something like, exactly like that the ability to protect yourself or a loved one is inarguably the single most important skill you could possess. And it's interesting to watch people argue that where they go, well, I don't, and I go, listen, whatever you've accomplished, if you accomplished it and it wasn't given to you by some lottery in life, right? Finances or wealth or health or whatever it is, and you just got it. But if you were like, like, out of shape and you got yourself in the best shape of your life and fitness was your whole life. And then somebody said, Hey, this is going to happen to your family tomorrow. Um, or we put a hundred pounds back on you. You're out of shape. You start this, this like five year process over again, but your family's safe, but you got to pick one or the other. If you earned your fitness or you earned your material wealth or the success of your business, you're going, dude, like, I want my loved ones. Mm -hmm. Don't even don't even talk about that. Yeah, it's a no brainer. And, yeah, um, and and so I I tell people to think about this that every situation in your life where a problem comes up, almost every situation you can hire an SME, a subject matter expert, to fix it. You got a stomach ache, you go to the doctor. Your roof's leaking, you roof repair. Car's got a problem, you got a mechanic. Teeth hurting you, dentist. Uh, you're not PRing, you don't understand nutrition. Uh, you want to get stronger, you, you, you find a great coach. There's only one situation in life where you need to be the first responder. You don't even have time to dial nine on a 911 call, and that's sudden or spontaneous random violence mm -hmm. and and i'm not here like chicken little the sky's falling because this will probably never happen to anybody but the way we approach your personal safety it's like no different than you know i look at, at understanding nutrition as a form of self-defense because it keeps you healthy or reduces inflammation i look at mobility stability and fitness as a form of self-defense because it makes you safer you move about the planet more safely you can run and lift things right forget the competitions the only thing that people as a as a community don't do with regard to self-defense and this is again reframing like an umbrella title is study self-defense and and it's, you know, if you drive carefully, that's self-defense, right? You're situationally aware, you're reading stuff, you're using fear of not getting into an accident or going too fast or going too slow or being in the wrong lane to guide your strategy. These skills that we use throughout everything else are the very same skills that we teach in our one and two day seminars. And, and um, the big thing is there's too many and i love john wick movies and bruce lee movies <laughs> yeah, and, yeah you know i love jujitsu and mma and all that stuff but martial arts is not the same as a real violent encounter no. and and what we do is we teach personal safety the same way a paramedic or a firefighter would teach cpr and in a four to six hour 
block where you learn how to clear a passageway, how to do mouth-to-mouth -mouth CPR, how to put on a tourniquet, you acquire the skills to save somebody else's life. You're not a doctor. That's what, you know, I tell people, because when, when I tell people, hey, you know, do the B-Room Bodyguard Seminar and learn how to defend yourself. Like anybody who's had a month of martial arts thinks, this sounds like bullshit. You can't learn to defend yourself in a day mm -hmm. because you have bought in through osmosis that this is a lifelong pursuit. Right. I can teach you how to snatch a PVC pipe yeah. in five minutes. Are you going to the Olympics? Of course. That's the point. And you <laughs> right. never stop learning. And so I look at Olympic lifting is like traditional martial arts, classical martial arts. It's, it's a lifelong pursuit. You're always tweaking. You're always moving on stuff. But there's specific time frames and movement patterns that you can't deviate from or you just, you're just going to get disqualified. Um, where real violence is controlled by the opponent, not by you. And, and this is the, the big thing for, I mean, anybody who's interested in this stuff is, is, is I tell people, you, like, you already know how to fight. You just don't know you know how to fight because you've been domesticated. There was a time, if we, and you'll appreciate this because it sounds like you read a lot and study a lot. If we had a time machine, we could pop back in time and everybody knew how to hunt and kill. Yeah. And, and, the, and then we got domesticated. And now, so there was a time where if you and I went into town with our pelts to sell our, our furs and... And after after a hunting trip, if some marauders came onto our property, our 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 wives or our kids were on the porch with a black powder rifle going, you know, my right. dad's not here, get off get off our land. Yeah. And here's the thing is like this isn't a Western and I'm not trying to be cavalier. That kid or that woman or that teenager or that guy was scared shitless, but they knew what was gonna happen if they didn't fight. All right. That's the reframe here is there are things in life, a lot of things in life, where there's going to be fear. And we talk about, like, you remember the No Fear Company? I do, um, yes. So so it occurred to me years ago, and they have a great slogan, and they got, you know, great athletes, adrenaline athletes, and, you know, mountain biking and, the, the uh, you know, all the extreme stuff that they sponsor. But I realized that just the idea of a state of no fear perpetuates more fear <laughs> unless you happen to be like one of these very elite adrenaline junkies yeah and and um you know i was down at fort bragg working with a military group and i got there a couple of days early and one of the guys says to me hey you want to go jumping this weekend and i go like jumping up and down like on the ground he goes ha 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 no like jumping from an airplane i said uh no i'm good thanks he goes you're scared i go well i've done it twice i did it twice a uh, tandem, like a, a tandem jump, free fall, static line. And I did it as a fear management study because I don't like heights. Okay. And um, I said, so I know I can jump out of a plane. So, yeah, I'm afraid. He goes, I thought you were a fear manage management expert. I said, it's fear management. It doesn't mean no fear. <laughs> right. And he, I said to him, I looked at him and he's smiling at me. And I go, uh, I go are you afraid of, flying, of uh, jumping out of an airplane? He goes, no. And I said, so let me pack your chute for you. And he's like, no fucking way. Yeah, right? exactly. And, right. and I'm going, so there is fear. In other words, like, you, you get what I'm getting at. Yeah, that totally. We, we substitute the word fear for, hey, did you lock the house? But we don't say, I'm afraid that we might get robbed. Right? right? Like yeah. you just You just get acclimated to it and you change it. But here's the thing. If I said to you, are you afraid of brushing your teeth? You'd say, of course not. But there was a time when you were a kid, you were afraid of brushing your teeth. It was like when you were teething, when, you were, when your, uh, your adult teeth were coming in and it was painful and you didn't know what was going on. Right now, if, if, you, if a filling popped or you cracked a tooth or something and, and you found out when you were brushing your teeth and you hit some nerve and you recoil from it, suddenly you'd be afraid to brush your teeth again. Yeah. Right. So what what happened, man? Why 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 the stigma? Why did why all of a sudden do we have this thing with fear? Because I'll tell you what, I spent a lot of time in in the woods, and um, animals are afraid, man. <laughs> you know, and that's why they're alive. So right. so why why do we why do we feel shamed by feeling this? This is a state of being that you know is required. Let me jump back because you were talking about before that um, fitness is a form of, of self-defense self -defense and 
you know, learning how to drive is a form of self-defense. And I was going to chime in, and then you eloquently did it later. I was going to chime in and say, yeah, but, you know, 100 years ago, we would just call that living. Right. You know, it, and now everything is so handed to us, but with everything being handed to us in terms of, um, you, what, what did you call them, the, the experts that that you could just call up and fix everything? Oh, SME, subject matter experts. Yeah, subject matter experts with, in this day and age of subject matter experts. Right. Why, hand in hand, do we feel this shame about feeling this natural response in our gut that tells us to self-preserve? Why? <laughs> what? Um, because I don't, I don't think it's educator taught that way. I, I wish I had it open right now, but I got an email from a, uh, a guy I've never even met and um, it was, he had bought an audio tape I had produced in the early 90s called Cerebral Self-Defense. Mm. And, uh, and it was all about just mindset and fear management. And he bought it like, I don't know, 17 years ago or whatever. And I've had some email exchanges with him. And I got an email from him a couple months ago thanking me for how his kids turned out, right? <laughs> And I'm like, and I, go, I got goosebumps now thinking about it. Um, but, you know, clearly I didn't raise his kids. But what he said was, what I learned from how you reframed fear, I passed on to my kids when they were seven and nine. Mm -hmm. And I am, as a dad, I am so proud of what they're accomplishing and what they're doing. They're grown up and how the business they're in and how they're raising their family or exploring the planet Earth and what have you. And he said, I can only thank you for that because of the reframe on fear. And, and it was so freaking heavy because, you know, like people go, blah, yeah, he's a martial arts guy. It's like knuckle dragger persona. Yeah. So coming back to your question, um, the, I think that, and it's getting worse, you know, we live in a selfie society, mm -hmm. um, where, where people will, will take, I mean, I've been on, like sitting on an airplane on a recent trip and there was a woman in business class and I'm not, yes, I was flying business class and she's sitting across from me in business class and I point out the business class uh, not to differentiate between, oh, these are the people that were in coach and business, but here's like, like a successful, mature woman sitting in business class for 10 minutes taking selfies to post that she was on an airplane and she kept doing the duck face and turn. I wrote, I ended up writing an article, an article for, you know, the uh, um, site Medium? Um, yes, so, yes. So I wrote, I wrote this article on Medium and the title is You Are Not Your Best Selfie. And um, just to remind people, like like what what we show people now is a facade of what's really going on. And you, you know, I'm sure you know Emerson, not personally, but he said what goes on around you compares little with what goes on inside you. Mm. And so, but like, like, like that was written in a completely different century. Yeah. And, and so, um, I've got this, uh, this book and there's a quote in it that basically it's a conversation between guy, two guys. And it basically says this almost in this language, it's, uh, hey, I want to have this discussion with you, but my concern is that you're just going to argue with me to be right versus like really have an open discussion so that we can, you know, kind of like dig deep. And, and it's written in this like, like very friendly art articulation like this. But it was a concern from one friend to another about I want to share something with you, but I'm concerned that like you're just going to like want to be right and argue with me. And I like I posted, I have it on like on a PowerPoint keynote slide. And I'll ask people like, who said this? How old is this? And people are like, I don't know, it, like it could be you and your mother, it could be you and your your kid. It was like Plato and Aristotle, yeah. right? And yeah. so like, like shit hasn't really changed ego, uh, uh, you know, sense of, of, you know, grandeur, like, who am I? Um, I think this stuff has to be taught, but there's an acceleration in like a like like uh, uh, towards this like like devolving, not evolving, yeah. because of smartphones. How stupid people are with smartphones! That if you you watch a documentary on Netflix and you're an expert, and you you know you read you you read something on the fake news, and you go, hey, you know, like look at this, and and um, I th a lot of it, you know, the, like the first step of being able to protect yourself is situational awareness.
Yes. If you have no awareness, then you can't prepare, get ready, or intercept. But you have all these talking head experts, military and law enforcement, that when there's like a tragedy, they'll come on and they go, folks, head on a swivel, situational awareness. And I always look at CNN or Fox, whoever's playing this, and I always, in a loud, assertive voice to the TV, and nobody can hear me, and I go, okay, expert. And by the way, an expert is somebody who's memorized someone else's material. It's not that impressive. Everybody can be an expert. Mm -hmm. So like the term SME, subject matter expert, is kind of ubiquitous in, in many communities. So in our training, when we're working, when we're training coaches, we tell them in our methodology, SME doesn't stand for subject matter expert. It stands for substance matters expert. Mm -hmm. And what that means is you know why, you know where. Well, like, like this whole conversation started off with the way we teach your personal safety isn't by learning and memorizing complex motor skills like what you learned in, in, in Wing Chun or, or Aikido. The hand goes here, the arm goes here, and now your fixation is on a biomechanic position instead of the movement and the expression of power or speed. Right, and it's interesting, Tony. I'm going to interject because yep. if you do learn these mechanical movements, and I'm not, you know, I, I just want to come be, be forthright and say that I'm not dissing martial arts. It's a noble pursuit. It's not easy, and, um, you know, hats off to everybody who does that. But the first thing, and I'm reading what your, your work, your life's work, and I'm like, oh, man, this fucking makes total sense, you know. Uh, <laughs> because, you. because if you learn those mechanical movements, you know, a, a trapping system, right? Um, and I call it a, simp a system if, if you learn a, a trapping series. And what I mean by that, hand trapping, you know what I mean. I'm telling right. you. To. But if you miss one, if you miss a stage, the first yeah. thing you do naturally is flinch. Right. The very first thing. If you miss, if you miss a pass, the first thing you do is duck your head and flinch. It's uh, really interesting that, that, uh, that this is your life's work is, is based on the flinch. Yeah, and, and, and that was like an accidental discovery, you know, like, like a third of the way through my professional journey. Um, and what I had to do was actually pause and go, whoa, you know, like what I believed, like the earth isn't flat. Hold on a second. And I had to, and so like, like in, in many ways, I'm an archaeologist or a or a, uh, uh, you know, I'm the Chris Columbus of self-defense, if that makes any sense. Where I just, like, I discovered a whole new thing, and, and you know, the, and this isn't a call for martial artists or about martial arts, but most of the world thinks I'm insane, right? It's the witch hunt, because, because it contradicts their whole belief system. And, um, and I tell people, I'm just trying to make good humans safer that, the startle flinch response is the equivalent of an orb of an airbag in a modern car and and your martial art is like your style of car but a real violent confrontation is like a drunk driver hitting you yeah. you're driving and your car isn't what's going to save you 99 percent of the time it's going to be that the airbag deployed effectively mm -hmm. and so we need to figure out how do we weaponize the flinch. And that's the whole thing is that it's non-gender, it's non-age, it's not background specific. It can make a black belt safer and it can make a beginner safer. And that's the exciting thing. Do you find that over your time, over your course of, you say, 50 years of, of studying violence, basically, um, that uh, now has, has, people, has people's idea of you of being kind of insane when it comes to teaching this in a short seminar has that dissipated a little bit because i'll tell you you know i'll, I'll never I, I was in martial arts things my entire life i was always into it and it wasn't until i was about 16 years old when a retired recon ranger taught me ar army combatives that right. i said um oh uh yeah. well this is this is different this is f right. fighting and right. and that is art and I'm wondering, over your course, over your history of time of teaching people this, like, are the martial artists kind of now saying, oh, well, that's not martial arts, man. That's, that's fighting. That's something different. Right. Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, but I'm, I'm more uh, um, of a renaissance 
person. I take stuff personally because I'm a human being. Yeah. I, I love when people say, don't take stuff personally. Okay. Okay. I'm a robot. I'm not. You know, like, I want my fatal flaws. I want everybody to like this, like me, right? And, you know, I'm sure I'm unique in the world, right? And it's just funny when, <laughs> right. it's funny when you see the meme is like, I don't give a fuck what people think. Yeah, of course you do. Well, Otherwise, well, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't be writing it. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have posted that meme if you didn't give a fuck, <laughs> right. like, right? Yeah. You wouldn't be on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, but more and more so, you know, uh, I mean, and of course, if you want to go insane, read YouTube comments, but, but the, so the answer to the question is, yeah, it's improved, um, but it's, and it's weird, you know, like you'll have 99 comments where we go, this sounds great, this sounds great, and then there's one guy that goes, this is the stupidest shit I ever heard, and like, that's what you're looking at. Yeah. Right? That's annoying. And so that's just, that's just evolution of maturity on my part, and other people can learn from it. Like, don't, don't fixate on the one heckler. Right. Right? You know, the show was still good. Um, and so... Yeah, it, it, it has evolved, but there were always people that went, I get this, this is smart. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I truly, like when I was 20, I get asked what I wanted to do. It was after my student lost that fight and I had this big epiphany. I went, man, I think I can wake, make the world safer. Yeah. And I was 20 years old. I said, if I, there is a, there's, and I didn't have the, 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 the language, the nomenclature that I have now, and I hadn't done all the brain-based neuroanatomy study and all this stuff. And it was like, like, holy shit, I could hack self-defense. Yeah. And so that's a, a you know contemporary term is how do I hack it? I go, well, you already know how to fight. You just don't know you know how to fight because there's this like 80,000-year-old DNA uh, that traces back to when cavemen started fighting each other. And the first yeah. weapon that was developed and used uh, uh, tactically and protectively was a spear. And the the uh, kinetic chain to drive a spear into a charging giant animal or or uh, an enemy from another tribe is the cross extensor chain, which is the same biomechanic kinetic chain we use for the empty hand spear, and and so wow, what cool serendipity! People go, oh, you you made this up. This is your modern. It's a modern system. Like like, because people want, they don't want to have some. Uh, like contemporary say like this is this is the self-defense system mm -hmm. uh, what they want is to look at like some guy that was like 500 years ago developed this and this is the lineage right and and i so when people say to me oh you made this up this is like a modern system i go no well it's actually 80 fucking thousand years old yeah and they're like that can't get older than that i ask the question to people when they go what's the best art for the street and they go, arts for a museum. They go, what? I go, how did people fight before martial arts were developed? Right. Thank right? you. Right? And, and I go, like, so, you know, some of the, the, the more modern martial arts have, like, a 3,000-year-old history as organized martial arts. But the oldest spear on the planet is 400,000 years old. Yeah. And 80,000 years ago, modern man began roaming the planet. And I believe that's when um, fighting started. And this is just my theory. So we have a T-shirt, which I'll send you one. Give me your address later. That uh, says on the back of it, "Caveman Combat is established 80,000 BC." <laughs> and um, and but they weren't doing like kata back then, and like doing sword, you know, in spear forms. Right. It was very, very primal, gross motor because, like, you were doing rounds. It was like I'm gonna die, like if this doesn't end soon. Right. You know, it wasn't staged and and, and agreed to fighting. So um, it's, a, it's a whole interesting process. And I feel like, you know, I'm an archaeologist that, that rediscovered something. And then I, I look at people and I go, this is in you. But if I can show you, like, like, if you can do a front rack, you can elbow somebody up under the chin. If you can put your seatbelt on, you can elbow somebody across the face. If you can do a push-up or a burpee or a press or a push press, you can palm strike somebody. If you can go knees to elbow... Uh, or do mountain climbers, you can knee the shit out of somebody. If you can slam, if you can grab a ball and do slam balls, you can grab somebody by the hair and the ears, yank them down as you do knee his elbow, and you now became a shitty tie fighter. <laughs> shitty shitty in the sense that you have no formal training, so your technique's going to be off according to an expert. And but So there's this hidden arsenal inside of fitness and movement, and really what it is is just functional movement right what's gonna so if i show i can show somebody that in like an hour all those moves and have them smashing things and i got big grins on their face and they're like holy shit and then we do these these kinetic um uh 
uh, uh, kinesthetic tests uh, where people develop like a little like a kinesthetic perception and awareness of extensor versus flexor and go look how strong your body is when you understand uh, uh, how to recruit the right muscles in the right place and this is all natural and they're like wow and then I go so you're gonna leave here and you've got you've just reawakened this like the skill you didn't even realize you had and you go out you leave the seminar you high five me you buy two of my t-shirts because they're cool <laughs> you go outside in the parking lot and there's a bad guy there what's gonna stop you from protecting yourself or your property and the answer is fear so it doesn't even matter what we show you it could be the most technical martial art or it could be like you know that army combat as you 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 were taught if you can't pull the mental trigger right like a coach going pick up the weight pick up the weight and your athlete looks at you and goes no you pick up the weight i can't right it's and so is is the i can't because of atrophy and i've just given everything or is the i can't because of a, a mental block yeah that's the question that is the question and tony i'm um I'm really sorry that we're going to have to bring this conversation to a close, but I know you have another appointment you need to get off. But I, before we do that, I w please come back on because I want to do the questionnaire with you because we, uh, we, we, had, we missed it. <laughs> yeah, we missed it, man. We don't have time for it, but that's okay because our conversation went places that I really wanted to go with you. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. So, um, but Sweet. I do want to ask you one question from section three and when you come back on we'll we'll uh we'll ask this again but i want to get your answer to this before we say our goodbyes and all that but um this is question two of section three and for you what is the opposite of fear wow um the so that's tricky because the way i look at fear isn't normal right like like so so some people say the opposite of fear is courage, but me, the opposite, the opposite of fear is more fear. <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of like a twisted answer because when I get a fear spike, I run it through something I've trained myself for two decades to do. Like I go, what do I need to learn here? What do I need to look at? You know, we've got a t-shirt that on the shirt, it says fuck fear. And the acronym is face it, understand it, confront it, then know it. And so we, we did this play, play on the no fear shirt. We spell it K-N-O-W, that if you really want to self-actualize and evolve as a human, you need to just go like, hey, where is that fear? Bring it here because that's really a beacon. I got to learn something here. And so like my, my pedantic answer is like for Tony, the opposite, the opposite of, of, of fear and the way I look at it is like, like, I don't even have a straight answer on that. <laughs> if <laughs> I don't even know if any of that made sense, man, that was like, you know, um, you know, if, if I'm just talking like spiritually without all the academic stuff that the opposite of, of fear, uh, might be just, um, freedom and spontaneity, just flow. In fact, I, there's a quote I have on my Instagram feed that it uh, says, if you didn't fear fear, what would you do? Yeah. I love that quote, by the way. It's pretty it's cool. cool. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for that answer. And uh, promise me you're going to come back on because I, I want to this run you through fun. that questionnaire. Thanks for coming on the show, man. But before you go, how can the audience connect with you? Um, Blowerspear.com. I, I, I answer everything. Like you got a question for me. I don't hire any social media companies. So if you post on my Instagram or my Facebook, I will answer it. If you email me, it might take a little time, but I will answer it. So, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook. And my website, if you want to learn more, is blowerspear.com. Awesome. And do you have any events coming up that we should check out? Any seminars uh, nearby? Where are you right now? I'm in I'm in uh, Montreal, Canada, where I used to live, and um, and uh, I've got I'm going to be at uh, uh, CrossFit Mayhem. I don't know how how fast this gets posted, but I'm going to be at Mayhem July uh, not July June third and fourth. July 8th and 9th, I'm going to be in Vegas running our annual combatives camp, self-defense camp. It's open for everybody. It's like 200 bucks for the weekend. It's ridiculously cheap. Great. Um, and then if you just go to our, our website, there's like a ton of courses. So if you're law enforcement, military, there's specific courses for you. If you're interested in self-defense and be your own bodyguard courses, it's all listed there. Fantastic. And 
One last thing, some parting words for the audience. I call it a, a plant a seed of inspiration for us before we say goodbye. Uh, yeah, listen, um, I love, I, like, I can't see who's listening to this, but I love that you've taken the time to listen to this. And and uh, if, if any thought inspires some introspection, like that's what it's all about is that's that is how you grow as, as a person and and if i was gonna just give one i don't like giving advice but but i would in in life just always trust your gut choose safety and use fear literally as a fuel when you feel you're backing away from something just Look at that. Remember these two acronyms, false evidence appearing real and false expectations appearing real. Like don't look at a fear spike as, as something that is happening. So I define that as is a bit longer answer than, than maybe you wanted. That's but great. very often what we do is, is you visualize something that's happening to you in the future that involves your pain or your failure and it mobilizes you in the present. So, so fear just like, like crushes movement if you look at it in, incorrectly. And when Kevin PR'd, he substituted, when you're visualizing what your opponent can do to you instead of what you must do to your opponent, he called me up, he said, I substituted opponent for bar. I'm substituting what the bar can do to me instead of what I must do to the bar. And so he was thinking about the bar dropping on him instead of pushing the bar away. And, and that was 20 pounds PR. So what is the way to fear? Fantastic, man. Tody, thank you very much. Okay, buddy, look forward to the next one. All right, brother, I'll talk to you. Take care, be safe. Bye. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Fitness. If you did, please subscribe, write a review. Also, go to www.theartoffitnesspodcast.com, scroll down, and do all of your Amazon shopping through the Art of Fitness portal. It would really help support. Thanks a lot. Oh,